Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-line splat holes of gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy Vietnam, 1984 Chuck Norris is James Bratton Decorated war hero Ex-prisoner of war an American on a mission. One man who couldn't forget the Americans that were left behind. We categorically deny that there are any living MIA Vietnam. Wrong answer. James Braddock has returned. Free the soldiers. We're going home. Missing in action. Damn right. James Brad declares war. The war isn't over until the last man comes home. America had no more heroes. Gentlemen, I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And this is Everything, Everything I Learned from movies. movies. And tonight. Oh, tonight. We celebrate Castame. Castame. With a, a wonderful suggestion from Jarrett, who's not only a Castaway podcast that we listen to with the Sci Fi Double Feature Drive In podcast, but also a beloved Patreon of our podcast. Aww. We put the word out of, hey, recommendations, we'll throw them in a bag and uh, see what sticks. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. doesn't have to. Uh, <laughs> Jarrett's got picked, and uh, we asked him, why? Why missing an action? Hello, Steve and Izzy, and the listeners of Everything I Learned from Movies. It's Jarrett, the kaiju man Weglin from the sci-fi double-feature drive-in podcast. Sorry me and Elisa couldn't make it on your show today, but I did want to send in this little message thanking you for picking my movie, Chuck Norris in Missing in Action. This movie... <laughs> was on all the time on the TV when I was a kid, and it may not be as cool as the other 80s action movies with Arnold or Stallone, but Chuck Norris does make a great action movie, and I think people like you can appreciate some cheesy action, especially ones from the 80s where America was just an amazing superhero that could do no wrong. <laughs> so thank you for picking the movie. Thank you for having us on all the times you did and we love you guys. So we hope to talk to you guys soon. Have a good one and don't forget to praise Godzilla. Yes, praise him! Praise him! <laughs> By the way, what the hell is he talking about cheesy 80s action movies? What, what's that supposed to, What's all that about? <laughs> I think he means uh, glorious heyday of films pieces of cinema yeah i mean that's what i'm getting from it but yeah. uh missing an action from 1984 but first oh shit i'm a little parched what we got to drink beautiful oh uh, we have from slow brew the cali squeeze blood orange hef yeah infusion series your new main squeeze we've juiced up our hefeweizen with loads of blood orange for the citrusy twist this infused brew spikes a unique balance between sweet and tart to brighten up your day. Enjoy like a pro. Yeah, pour half can, swirl can, top off glass. 
Slow Brew has been handcrafting award-winning craft beers in Central Coast of California since 1988. Ooh. Bright Citrus, unfiltered, refreshing, 5.4 ABV. Nice. All right, and this is a nice tall boy can, so let's uh, pop this top. Oh, my top! <laughs> and then I guess we're going to do what they recommend. I got a great big glass here, so we're going to do the pour. Oh, that smells like blood oranges. Yeah, nice citrus scent off there. Yeah, and then I'm s gently swirling the can. Oh, yeah, that's nice and hazy. Ooh. It's uh, amber with definitely, you can see, like, the blood orange juice in it, basically. Yeah, I feel like a nice red tint to it. And we poured the rest of this in. Yeah, this is a nice, hazy, uh, it's got a beautiful, like, grapefruit color to it. Yeah. Like a ruby red yeah, grapefruit. Yeah, ruby red, yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Just going in for the sip. Oh, cool. Orion. Oh, no, she's going to, yeah. Oh, oh. She, she seems oh, to well. be questioning it. It's like carbonated orange juice. Ugh. But in, like, the best way possible. Like, you get a lot of that orange and citrus right off the top. It's not bitter at all. The Hefeweizen really balances it. It's not overly sweet. Yeah, it's got that, like, clove kind of... You get a little bit of that, and then, like, the yeah. bitter from the pith on the orange juice, but not yeah, overly yeah. bitter. Yeah, not super bitter. Don't but, yeah, very subtle, very very easy drinking. You know, no, you know what it tastes like? It tastes like um, the they have like the grapefruit orange juice blends. Yeah, that's what it kind of tastes like, like in the but, best but, way but in possible. Beer form. In carb, yes. Yeah. Form. <laughs> I really, basically, I really like this beer, and I'm gonna drink the shit out of it. Excellent. Well, save, save some for me too. No. <laughs> My glass. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's not missing anything. No, not no. missing anything in action. Well, there's plenty of blood in it, so... Yeah! <laughs> you know what was missing from Missing in Action? What's that? Some of the action scenes. <laughs> what are you talking about? This movie was really slow. All right, we'll get to it. Well, it comes from director Joseph Zito. Who's here, Steve? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Izzy. He directed such classics of horror as The Prowler, which is uh, one of the early slasher movies from, like, 1980 mm -hmm. or 81 or something. Who's that, Steve? Uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th, the final chapter. It wasn't the final chapter. Spoilers. <laughs> it was like number Spoilers. Four, was five or six or something. Uh, then he made this. And then he made another one of our favorite uh, Chuck Norris movies, Invasion USA. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can see that. And then he made Red Scorpion starring Dolph Lundgren. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was... Uh, I, I think that's actually on Amazon Prime right now. <laughs> you have to check that out. Uh, and then a couple straight to DVD things that I'd never heard of. But, uh, yeah, Joseph Zito. And, of course, stars the great Charles Marie Norris. Chuck Norris. Uh, Chuck Norris! As Colonel James Braddock. Uh, yeah. M. Emmett Walsh as Jack Tucker. Yeah. And, of course, the great James Hong as General Tran. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> or as we were calling him the whole movie, Lotran. Lotran! <laughs> <laughs> But, sweetie, uh, mm -hmm. initial thoughts when uh, we drew Missing in Action out of the hat? Uh, my first thought was, oh my god, we haven't done a Chuck Norris movie. How have we not done a Chuck Norris movie? We ate at the Chuck Norris Bar and Grill in Iceland. That's true. That How is true. have we not done a Chuck Norris movie? Ooh, we did a partial Chuck Norris movie for our full-length commentary a couple months ago. Expendables 2. Okay, we've done a movie... Where he had a cameo in it, but it's we've true, not done yeah. a Chuck Norris movie. That's true. This is our first on this podcast, and only took 114 episodes. <laughs> we just keep getting stuck on Jean-Claude. I know. Coming in June. No. <laughs> Chuck Benber? Chuck-tober? Chuck-tober. <laughs> November? November. Uh, okay. Give me a minute. We'll work yeah, on it. We'll, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, the movie starts out. And the first thing you see is Canon Films. And, oh, yeah. And my response is basically, okay, I'm in. Chuck Sold. Norris, Chuck Norris, Canon Films, we're good. Yeah, those guys over at Canon, man, they know exactly what they're doing with a good action movie. Chuck Norris yeah. and Canon so, Films, always a good sign. And then Location Jungle. Yeah. <laughs> the jungles of Vietnam. And then Explosions. And then we see Chuck Norris leading this team of... <gasps> <laughs> team of soldiers through it does open up with one of the greatest scenes in like the history of chuck norris movies it's true just explosions everywhere and guns rattling and there's the guy that like saves them then throws the thumbs up and then gets lit up like a fucking christmas yeah. tree 
Uh, uh, so much but action. But the best part was when Chuck Norris climbed the platform. Yes, got to the platform to take out a was like a sniper or whatever. Yep. And pulls and, two grenade pins and leaps off. Yeah, that's right. I'm like, oh shit, this movie's gonna end quick. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to him all sweaty in bed in I don't know dirty ass Brooklyn or something. Yeah, I think it was in L. A. If I remember, yeah, it was like like okay. Reseda or like some yeah. some suburb of L. A. <laughs> he was in Glendale. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it was a dream the whole time, which was like, oh, all right. I want to go back to that movie. <laughs> yeah. And so he's, you know, getting up, walking around, being kind of mopey. I don't think he had the lights on at all, just kind of sitting in the mm-hmm. dark in the morning. And then it dissolves to the POW camp. Yeah. And, and a little little flashback of like, oh, yeah, he was in Vietnam. And, you know, some of his team got taken over. And, and then Spider-Man is on the television set. Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. I got a fun fact about that. (laughs) What? (laughs) And it's a good solid, like, I swear, like a minute or two that it's on. Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, shit, did we switch to a Spider-Man movie? (laughs) (laughs) We interrupt this Chuck Norris movie to bring you a children's tale. Spider-Man. And we find out uh, that... Colonel Braddock, uh, Chuck Norris, um, he's flying to Vietnam with a senator because they're having some press conference or some hearing uh, about, you know, POWs being returned to America because, uh, you know, in 1984, the Vietnam War has been over for quite some time, actually, I would think yeah, at this point. and we still have men missing in action. Yeah, got to bring those boys home. Uh, but they're denying that any of them are, are there. They're, there's None no of them are alive. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> And then, of course, you know, uh, apparently Colonel Braddock is like a special witness. Like, oh, yeah, they're totally there. I was in a camp. I think it was only like two years earlier or something like yeah. that when it got out, right? Or a couple months, something like that. But he's like, no, no, it's there. I don't know where it is because <laughs> I just escaped somehow. But yeah, yeah, they don't really talk about that. Yeah, they really don't. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm no, trying to think if no, there was even don't. like a, oh, yeah, I got hit on a head and woke up and he was in a, you know, uh, a military base or something. Yeah, no, but... I think that's what his dreams are about. I think even he's trying to figure out how he did it. <laughs> that's it. He found out he was Spider-Man. He got bit by a radioactive spider. Oh, shit. <laughs> and after his uncle was murdered in front of him, and he could do nothing to save him. <laughs> and his mother, Martha. No, okay, we're done. Um, <laughs> Martha Norris. No. Uh, but, but after this hearing, which goes exactly as can be expected um there are no pow's oh and by the way you're a war criminal so we actually want to imprison you yeah so and so then they celebrate by going to a dinner party yeah um and chuck norris i remember like everybody else is like dressed to the nines and stuff and he's just kind of in like a like in like, like a denim, denim jacket yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it was in a denim te- in a denim sh- button-up shirt oh yeah with a bolo tie that's yep. right yeah i remember those bolo ties in this movie i'm like yep, yep. yes i'm i'm all in in the 80s <laughs> and and uh hot chick li- uh foreign liaison is yeah. all up on his in his shit yeah i'm supposed to keep an eye on you keep you out of trouble yes so you after- really pissed off the governor let's go back to my room and bang well no no, no. she invites him to her room for a nightcap mm-hmm. but he doesn't want him to get the wrong idea since what he goes to his room for like two minutes to like grab his bag or something after being invited for a nightcap goes back she's already changed into like a sheer white nighty. yeah she's in lingerie and she's like i don't want you to get the wrong idea but i'm supposed to keep you out of trouble <laughs> and behind her he's like already taking his clothes off and like no, I'm pretty oh sure yeah that's yeah. not what we're doing you know what i lied that is what we're gonna do she is dtf boom um, but hey what happens if vietnam stays in vietnam <laughs> <laughs> they love you long time now. um <laughs> But Chuck isn't there to fuck. He's there to turn to his uh, dark, super black turtleneck and yeah. uh, go archering. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm short one slightly darker black turtleneck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the scene of him, like, uh, because they have uh, basically a couple guards and stuff making sure he doesn't go anywhere. Uh, they got him, like, posted right outside of her room because they know he's in there. He goes out the window and, like, has yeah, to, like, shimmy shimmies. down the side. And it's I actually pretty impressive stunt work, actually. Oh, for sure. And I'm pretty sure Chuck Norris, like, doesn't he do his own stunts? I I don't know mid-80s. I, I know, like, in the 70s or something he did. But mid-80s, I'm sure they had a stunt double for some things. But... It's a canon film. Are you sure? Yeah, that's true. Those, those, those guys do cost money. <laughs> or, at least, or at least packs of beer. I don't know. Right? <laughs> we need to talk to more stuntmen. That's right. Yeah. But he finds his way out 
goes to a, a nearby building, breaks. Actually, basically, it was like an embassy building or something. Yeah, wasn't he it? breaks yeah. into an embassy. Yeah, and he uh, goes into the bedroom of Lopan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, General Tran. Or is it the? Or it's a palace or something. Yeah, so, some sort of major facility with like security guards and lots of security. And yeah. he kind of waltzes in. Yeah, yeah, pretty willy nilly. He's in there, Lopan sleeping. Basically wakes him up gently with a knife through his fro- throat and is basically yeah. like, tell me where the location of the POW camp is. And he's like, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And pimp slaps him or something a couple times. Yeah. And, and, you were never supposed to know about them. You were never supposed to leave. <laughs> right. Just aggressive interrogations, we'll put it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, long story short, Lopan spills the beans. And then just as he's about to leave, he, like, pulls a gun out of, like, the, the side table or something. Yeah. He's about to shoot Chuck Norris. But then Chuck throws a knife and hits him in the chest. Yeah. I was totally expecting to be right between the eyes, like, in Big Trouble Little right? China. Right? I know. I was trying to think, like... Oh, and the reflexes. How 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 many times has uh, James Hong been killed by knife on screen? <laughs> Ooh, we'll have to get him on the uh, podcast and ask him. Right? <laughs> I really want to interview this incredible character actor from, like, Minnesota. Yeah, right? <laughs> He's made a pretty good career of impersonating his parents, basically, right? That's what I'm assuming. Like, yeah. anybody I've... Like, any interviews I've heard of people who, like, do accents on TV who are just, you know, like, oh, you know, I was, you know, born and raised in Reseda. I just do it. I do an impression of my great aunt who used to watch me. It regularly sounds like Benedict Cumberbatch or something. He's like, well, actually, after training at Juilliard, I decided to go to Los right. Angeles. And, uh. Right. That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> well, anyway, after Lopan's killed, uh, Chuck Norris has to escape because they Lotran. Go- Lotran, whatever. Lotran Ge- is. General Lotran. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck has to escape because uh, the alarm got sounded, I think, when he was like falling over or like still had the knife in his chest or something. Um, it's actually a pretty impressive little, like. Yeah. Like, like I know it's not a, exactly a one-shot, but it looks like it's basically a one-shot from two different angles they kind of go yeah. back and forth from. Like, it's pretty impressive, like, him just kind of, like, tr- karate chopping fools and, like, yeah. then hiding behind a wall, coming back out, and, yeah. I, I was impressed with it. Yeah, they did a good job on that. Oh, but, but he escapes, and apparently Chuck Norris is faster than a radio because he got yes. back into town and the hotel and everything faster than they can, like, circle the place with, like, the the vietnam police <laughs> you know i think it was he was so stealthy like the alarm went off but i don't think the first place they went to look was general tra- tra- trans i think it was like they're like check the diamonds oh like like check the perimeter or exactly. something and then it's like all right make sure everybody's yeah. okay and, and then it was like wait trans not in the uh the evacuation bubble or whatever yeah <laughs> oh shit he's still in his room <laughs> the evacuation bubble i don't know <laughs> He's he's not in the uh, panic room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, he gets he evacuated, back. but not what we wanted him to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too 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 soon. Oh, uh, sweetie, it's <laughs> it's true, it's true. Uh, but he sneaks back mm. up the hotel, like like shimmies his way yeah, back up the floor, or whatever, to was... get get to the ladies' room, and and she's already changed into a different nighty at this point because she now has. she's in a black nighty. Yep, she's ready for bed. She's like, well, he went out the window. I yeah, guess I better then, change into this for somebody else. And he comes else. in and she's just like, uh, I was supposed to keep an eye on you and you left. I'm about to be in trouble. And he's basically like, pretend to fuck me. And he's like, right get, now. get under the covers. And he like starts taking his shirt off. And she's like, wait, what? 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 Trust me. And they get under the covers just as like the guards like bust down the door. Yeah. And, and, and of course it's like, oh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but. Uh, <laughs> was he here the whole time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the next morning uh, when they're, I don't know, having their breakfast in the room or whatever the hell they're doing, uh, basically he tells her his plan that he's doing one last mission into Vietnam to get all those POWs. No, my job is to keep you out of trouble and you're not supposed to go anywhere. We're going back to the U.S. right now, mister. Smash cut to Bangkok, Thailand. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then, One night in Bangkok makes a hard man humble. See, you would think that would have been the soundtrack for that scene. Oh, so no, bad. instead it was like break into electric boogaloo. Like it was like and like people like break dancing in the streets and yeah. shit. It was, it was ridiculous. We're gonna get down to Bangkok Avenue, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll take it. Hi-ya! <laughs> <laughs> so of course. 
When in Bangkok, where's the first place you go, sweetie? Uh... To the titty bar! I was going to say, to go find a uh, pleasure boy? What are they called? <laughs> the boy girls or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> hey, yes. when, when in Bangkok, man. Yeah, so he goes to the titty bar in search of his buddy Tucker. Uh, yeah. Tucker drops in on him. Huh, literally. Tucker's in a bar fight and literally falls off one of the balconies onto, like, Chuck Norris's table. Yeah. And Chuck Norris goes... Basically goes like, how much to run your boat? And Tucker's like, five grand. And then gets punched in the face by the dude he's in the bar fight with. Four grand punch. Three grand punch. One grand. Chuck Norris takes the guy out with one punch. And then, uh, yeah, they they run and flag down a taxi. Which, all I've heard is, don't take strange taxis anywhere in the world. (laughs) But, yeah, the the taxi driver basically turns around and is like, uh, end of the road, Chuck Norris. (laughs) (laughs) They take him out. And then, uh, yeah, his buddy's just like, oh, shit. Uh, I'm gonna go get my boat ready. I'll meet you there. Bye. Yeah, and, and I seem to remember that guy was taken out by like being choked because I ran down autoerotic asphyxiation. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, and then as Chuck Norris leaves, a uh, couple gets in and <laughs> try and get him to take him to their hotel. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which I enjoyed that little scene. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so him and his buddy Tucker they go to go to his boat and basically lay out the plan. Like it's to like go by sea, obviously, and go to a port and. You know, avoid the authorities, but they got to go but up the gotta, river. They need to get a raft. They can't because the boat's right. going to be too big. So they got to go visit the arms dealer and see if he's got a raft. That's right. What was, what was the arms dealer's name? I don't remember. Uh, a shady Cuban dude. <laughs> that's right. They need to get a chopper mm-hmm. too, and yeah, and they need a, a raft that has like fucking semi-automatic rail guns and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. They basically need uh, the tank version of a Zodiac. Yeah. <laughs> and they get one with sharks on it after murdering the shady Cuban dude. I don't know if he's Cuban. I don't know. Yeah. He was some sort of not an ethnicity the same as anybody else in the movie whatsoever. <laughs> he definitely wasn't Thai. We'll put it he that way. He was not Bangkokian. <laughs> Bangkokian. <laughs> They're pronounced Bangkokers. <laughs> like a Bangkoker Spaniel. Oh, oh right, that's right. where those come from. <laughs> oh, by the way, so... Chuck Norris is leading this mission, and he's handing out, like, $25,000 to, like, all these guys to get the yeah. chopper and the raft and the boats and the guns and all that stuff. Where the fuck is he hiding this money? Because he's not walking around with, like, a giant duffel bag or anything. But he's oh. got, like, endless stacks on stacks. Well, alright, so you know how those pants look skin tight? Oh... It's just, like, strapped to his legs. His legs are actually, like, mm. super twig thin. And those are actually, like, super wide leg. <laughs> you know what? That's actually probably good tactically, too. Because you can probably take a bullet or at least, you exactly. know. Exactly. That's why you can take so many deep. punches and stuff. And seriously, who's going to be trying to pe- peel, like, skin-tight jeans off a dude? That's true. That's true. <laughs> Let me oh, search that's... you. <laughs> oh, it's got to be hot and humid as fuck in those, though. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that uh, that Bangkokian money just is very absorbent. <laughs> They use pesos, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes, Thai pesos. (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) So So fucking stupid. Oh, so there's like the Vietnam general with the mustache that's like trying to hunt him down and kill him. And I guess he gets word that he's in Bangkok from like, you know, spies there or something like that. So he's in the hotel, and across the way he sees, like, guys setting up with a bazooka. Right? And so he's like, oh shit, and just, like, starts running away from the window. They launch the missile in there, and yeah. oh my God. he, like, makes it to the hallway or something, but... Yeah, yeah, he gets knocked out, but, like, I'm not gonna lie, this is a very dramatic scene. There's, like, children being blown oh, yeah. to bits, like... Yeah, like, it falls, like, into the streets and shit, yeah. and, like, yeah, it's, it's very, uh, full metal jacket. Kind of yeah, thing. this movie started getting, like, kind of dark yeah or uh, uh, good morning vietnam there we like, go the, the one scene in good morning vietnam that everyone tries to forget <laughs> right what are you talking about that's the movie with uh uh mork is just like super cheery on the radio right that's right up until that third act he's totally <laughs> <chopping cheery. laughs> so chuck norris oh, goes out to yeah, the boat yeah. and tells his buddy basically like we gotta leave early and they're like well the zodiac's not here and like as they're talking the zodiac is pulling up and yeah. Uh, but so is the Vietnamese general, and they have the fight on the truck yeah. with the vendor who specifically pushes his cabbages in the way to get yeah, run over. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was actually pretty pretty cool little stunt. Like, yeah, the guy with cabbages, he's, like, lining it up between the two drugs, <laughs> and he's like, okay, now i got to get the fuck out of the way. And then, it, like, the camera angle, like, shows, like... 
crush yeah. right through. <laughs> and they dump uh, an old Mercedes and somebody somebody's fucking livelihood pick up into the bay. Yeah. And then Chuck Norris swims to uh, swims to the boat as it's peeling out of the harbor. Yeah, he like jumps out of the side. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good stunt. So then they get on the boat, get to start going up the river, and then I th- yeah, that's right. They like pull off to the side because they're getting close to where. Uh, the coordinates they were given were so they like right, we got to sneak yeah. in from here and be careful. There's trip wires and stuff everywhere. And they talk about they keep talking about how quiet the zodiac is. They yeah they never put the mufflers on it. It's just no. like yeah. It's one of those things where it's like you probably hear from like five miles away, right? Out there in the jungle, like, there's a quietest raft within five thousand miles. So what are the other fucking ones? Like, did they just go like honk? I'm here, honk. <laughs> hey, everybody. And of course, like, almost, it was like literally within like thirty yards of getting off the boat that uh, their cover's blown because, like, trying to kill somebody, he like fires his gun, and everybody's like, "Yeah, oh shit, what's that?" And they're all like coming out and firing at him. He's like, "All right, get, get the boat out of here. We got the fuck out of here. Let's go." Yeah, and then yeah, this is when his buddy Tucker is like. Uh, shit, you tricked me. I wasn't supposed to come on the mission with you, but who else was going to go with you? And Jackers is like, I knew you'd never leave me. And he's like, you fucking asshole. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Oh, is this the one? Yeah, that's right. I think Tucker leaves with the raft. Mm -hmm. And then he stays with the raft. Yeah, yeah, he stays with the raft and, like, takes it down the river so he doesn't get caught. But then Chuck gets in the, like, the Jeep or whatever and, like, makes the escape that way. Uh, and that's when they set, the, he has the grenade and he sets, like, the little trap, like, with the spare tire in the back. And yeah. it's, like, as soon as they, like, run up and, like, bump it with, like, their bigger truck, like, it explodes. explodes. <laughs> Chuck Norris is very good with hand grenades. I gotta yeah. give that to him. Especially in his dreams. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, that opening scene with the grenade thing, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> right? <laughs> Oh, you straight up were just like, well, this movie's over. Yeah. He's a ghost the whole time. That's why he's unstoppable. So, so it's like a Jacob's Louder scenario? <laughs> he wakes up in a hospital at the end of the movie. Oh, what happened? Who shaved me? Where's my beard? Uh, uh, but he escapes, uh, makes it to the POW camp, uh, sneaks in, he finds a, a POW who I guess is supposed to be like Indian or something. or Yes, um... He finds, like, refugees from other nations there, yeah. but all the Americans are gone. And, yeah, the, the there's a guy, yeah, from, like, India or something, and he's just like, they just moved all the Americans this morning. They said someone was coming. Did you really come for us? And Chuck Norris is like, yeah, I got a man with a boat this far down the river. Go meet him. I gotta go. I'm going after the Americans. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, like, they, they kind of get out, but towards the end... Uh, the, the longest trip or whatever. So there's the big shootout and attack yeah. and, and, and they bazooka the boat. Uh, but, um, but uh, yes, everybody was out there safe. By the, that's right. It was the boat that got blown up. Not, not the raft, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah Cause uh, yeah, we're not at the, where they blow up the raft yet. They got to rescue the rescue refugees first. Yeah. Get the refugees out of there. And this is the scene where like Chuck, uh, like, like the boat gets blown up and he's like blown off the side or, you know, they, they think they're, they're sure he's gone. Like, they even, like, yeah. pull up to the flaming wreckage, and they're like, is he in there? Is he in there? I want to see a body. Blah, blah, blah. Something like that. And then he rises up out of the water. It's the scene from the, yeah. the trailer. By the way, check out the trailer. It's awesome. It is a great trailer. <laughs> and then he's just slow-mo, rat-a-tat-tat, and guys like, coo, 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 coo. Well, just dripping wet. It's pretty great. Yeah. Ugh. Dripping wet Chuck Norris. Oh. You're welcome, ladies. Not <laughs> a dry panty in the house. That's right. Not even Chuck's. Because <laughs> he's soaked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then they got to get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. Um, yeah, no, I guess that is where they blew up the uh, the raft. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, it is Wait, towards. When did, where did they pick up the Americans? Oh, because he had the he had to stop the uh, the transport truck and get the Americans. That's right. Out oh, that's right. That's right. They're in the transport. And truck. then that's when they uh, chase them back to the boat. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Yeah, he has like three American refugees. Yeah. <laughs> and then as this goes, a couple of them get taken out. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but they're no longer prisoners. They're free. It's true. They died as free men. <laughs> and so yeah, the boat explodes. They got to get to the chopper. And I have written down why does the guy on the chopper look like Kolchak the Night Stalker? He really sort of does. He looks like he should have been giving, like, the fucking traffic report or something from that chopper. Yeah, that that was fucking weird. 
but you know what when, when when in rome or wherever this movie was shot <laughs> sure I, i'm guessing it really wasn't in vietnam or something what? <laughs> that's gonna be my guess like laos or something <laughs> the jungles of jamaica yeah. brazil yeah there we go yeah. they went down for for carnival yeah <laughs> we should shoot a movie while we're here yeah sure let's shoot a couple movies i don't give a shit <laughs> <laughs> right. uh but they get they get to the chopper they get the pow's out of there meanwhile back in saigon they're holding another press conference, and uh, the senator's there. there in the are Vietnam. no Americans left in Vietnam. <laughs> the doors are kicked open, and Chuck Norris is dragging in one of the POWs. Yeah, firemen carry over the shoulder. No man left behind, except for the ones he left behind. <laughs> but then it's freeze frame, roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen missing in action <laughs> all right so we just explained a movie with like a ton of action in it but this movie was really slow it had slower moments like like the, the scene... first like hour of it is really slow yeah well the scenes where he's like sneaking out of the hotel and stuff that's all in like real time like it's... yeah i think that's just it it's just like, like yeah. some of those scenes and then like some of the like we need to pass this bill scenes could have been yeah. <laughs> I was half expecting it to be like, and this is how a bill is passed. First, it has to be <laughs> written and documented. Then it has to be ratified by a council <laughs> of its peers. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Oh, guys, we gotta, gotta fill the full ninety minutes. Let's let's keep it going though. <laughs> but like overall, Ooh, especially after I had to cut out all the the extra sex scenes and the titty bar scenes. Oh, and... you know what? That's a shame. Those titty bar scenes, man, they were spectacular. They were actually pretty gratuitous. They may come mm. back for our uh, year-end spectacular. <laughs> mm, gratuitous boobies. Indeed. It's literally in our theme song, Steve. This is what our podcast is about. Exactly. There were plenty of one-liners. A couple of plot holes. A lot of plot holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, get, I think what we're trying to say is, thank you, Jarrett. Uh, yes, thank you. But there's more after this brief break. What? We're we're, good, we're taking a break to check out underpants. Yes, to check it's on a our brief briefs. Break. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go break some underpants wide open. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to your briefs. <laughs> and then more beer, fun facts, and funny third thing. Yeah. When everything I learned from movies returns. happy to have you with us this evening and want you to enjoy every minute of your stay here. Listen to me. Please listen. If you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! Are you ready to enter the sci-fi double feature drive-in? Every month we hold a special double feature with a very interesting theme thought up by your host, the conspiracy-loving Elisa, and yours truly, Jarrett the Kaiju Man Wegelin. We discuss giant monsters, little monsters, genetic abominations, robots gone awry, aliens coming to Earth, cryptids, and anything in between. So join us at the sci-fi double feature drive-in podcast every first and third Thursday of the month. And don't forget to stop by our snack bar first hey this is liz and this is heather and we are nerdy bitches podcast a show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture from movies and tv to our regular book club and everything in between we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye we're talking Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, DC, Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbeam, or wherever you find awesome podcasts. You can also find us hanging out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and at nerdybitches.com. Talk to you soon. Hey, do you like movies? Hey. Do you like podcasts? If you do, then come on down and listen to the Home Video Hustle podcast, homie. Hustle, hustle. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? 
Well, every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I pick a bunch of movies at random. Sometimes there's a theme to it, sometimes not. PJ picks the movie up, and guess what? We watch it on Friday. We talk about it for about maybe an hour, hour and a half, whatever we feel like doing. Might give you something good to watch, baby. Come on down every Friday. So come get your hustle on with Home Video Hustle. You can find the show on any podcatcher app, or you can come down to homevideohustle.popping.com. All of them in one place for you. So you can go ahead and binge it like it's Netflix. We ain't the defenders. Yeah. But I like to think we a little bit better than that. <laughs> come out at your boys, man. Come chill with us. Peace. Peace. Have you ever watched an absolutely terrible movie and thought to yourself, what were they thinking? Because we sure have. So much so that we named our podcast after it. What were they thinking? Starring me, Nathan. And Brendan. Every other week, we take a bad to questionable movie and unpack it. So you don't have to. And then every other other week, we ate your cues with our mailbag. Or, you know, talk about whatever. No big whoop. No, no big whoop at all. So that's what were they thinking? You can catch us on Podbean, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Also, a ton of platforms that Brendan made up. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Those were the greatest ads that ever added in the history of adding, Steve. It's true. Those those boys on Madison Avenue, they, they know what they're doing. By staying far away from us, apparently. You know what, though? I suddenly feel the need to download a podcast about hustling or something. Yes, hustling and science fiction drive-ins and... Yeah, I definitely feel like driving over a hustler. Wait, is that not what we were advertising for? <laughs> uh, I, I don't believe so. But, uh, <laughs> speaking of driving, what do you got to drink, beautiful? <laughs> Ooh, alrighty. So, won't lie, we picked this beer based almost entirely on the label. It's true. Uh, but it works, the, the title works with this movie. From Rogue Brewing, we have Culture Clash. Imperial <laughs> Blonde Ale brewed with kombucha tea. 6.9% alcohol by volume. Hell yeah. It has a sloth on the front. A yes. three-toed sloth. Holding two pints of beer. One with his foot and one with his arm. Yeah, you wish you could hold a beer with your foot. Uh, that, that would be awesome. Yeah. Dedicated to the Mother Scobie. Culture Clash is an explosive collusion with Brew Dr. Kombucha, a fearless fermenter and world-class organ brand. By combining this unique tangy flavor uh, of the custom-brewed kombucha with Rogue's Imperial Blonde Ale, specifically brewed to complement it, we've created this flavorful, invigorating balance of blonde and bold that both kombucha and beer drinkers will enjoy. Brewed with Brew Dr. Kombucha and Rogue Imperial Blonde Ale. It has a fish and a cheese on it. What does that mean? Pairs well with fish or cheese, probably. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm that. pretty sure scoby is what you call the basically mushroom that uh, weeps kombucha. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Kombucha's delicious. Indeed. We're going to pop the top here. Oh, my top. Oh, and by the way, this is in a great big beautiful ceramic bottle. Yeah, green too, like lime green. Or yeah. uh, avocado green, I guess. Yeah, definitely yeah. avocado. Yeah. And the pour. Ooh, super fizzy. Yeah. I like it. It's effervescent. Doesn't smell, smell like a recycling bin, so I'm okay so far. Yeah. Smells kind of spicy and a little tangy. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, kind of uh, smells like a wild ale. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's see. Well, yeah, and it's a... Uh, as my wife would say, the color of a well-hydrated man. Eh, it's a little darker now, I guess. But. <laughs> it's kind of a nice gold color. Slightly hazy. Yeah, super effervescent. The bubbles dissipate really quickly. Really white head on it. Steve's gone in for the taste. Oh, wow. That is actually pretty damn good. Ooh, that is right? very different. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it tastes like a wild ale. Yeah, like a, like a wild ale. But yeah, it's definitely got like the, the tea kind of influence. But it's like more of a full-bodied tea. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely got some like fruity flavors to it, almost yeah. kind of like a tart plum. Yeah, yeah, and then like um, like a little bit of citrus on there as well. Uh, definitely like that blonde beer provides like a good backbone for it, but and if the this, kombucha is the flavor. Yeah, and if this is seven percent, this is a mm-hmm. dangerous seven. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This does not taste like seven percent. This would be super good on a hot day. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very refreshing and 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 unique. Like you don't get a lot of beers like this like yeah and the it's very effervescent like the the carbonation on are like really tiny bubbles like a like a tacati almost 
Who wants some fun facts? Fun facts are super fun facts because the fun, fun facts. First fun fact. Sweetie, mm-hmm. did you know Jean-Claude Van Damme is apparently in this movie? What? Yeah, apparently he's uncredited as a, a soldier somewhere. Oh, shit. But I was kind of looking for him in the POW scenes. I did mm-hmm. not see him. <laughs> Then maybe he's just, like, one of the, like, background guys with the big helmet, like, at the Imperial Palace thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. He may have been, like, a like a UN soldier or something like that yeah. in one of those scenes. Oh, yeah, he could have been, like, one of the courtroom soldiers, too. They yeah. wore big helmets. Yeah, but, yeah, apparently he's in this movie. I just didn't oh, see shit. him anywhere. In his autobiography, Chuck Norris stated that he made this film as a memorial in honor of his younger brother, Wyland, who was killed in Vietnam in 1970. Oh, that's oh. so sweet. Oh, that's so sweet. I like Chuck Norris. Yeah, he seems like a good dude, right? He really does. Yeah. Uh, this is also the first film in Chuck Norris's five-film contract with Canon Films, which paid him $1 million per film, which was agreed to by uh, Menahem Golem against the wishes of his cousin Yoram Globus. Yeah, oh, the, the two guys shit. with yeah. Canon Films. Yeah. Million dollars per f- film. Remember when that was a mm, big number? That was a big number. Yeah. Especially for a film company like like canon yeah that like that may have led towards their bankruptcy (laughs) well funny you should say that Uh, (laughs) in one scene braddock is watching a cartoon of spider-man on television canon films the producers of the movie uh, had just acquired the rights to make a spider-man film from marvel so they were able to show the clip royalty free the intention was to have missing in action director joseph zito make a $20 million film sometime in 1986, and Cannon even went as far as having promotional f- photographs of the project taken, and the intended film was advertised to press and overseas distributors. Oh, shit. However, by the time 1986 rolled around, uh, Cannon had uh, several financial problems due to their attempts into moving into bigger uh, budget films, like <clears throat> Superman Four and Masters of the Universe, uh, and the project was ultimately shelved. And the rights reverted back to Marvel after Canon's bankruptcy in 1990. Oh, a Canon Spider-Man. The world missed out. Right? Who would have played Canon Spider-Man? I would assume it would have been Jean-Claude. I'm going to Google it real quick. While you're looking that up. This movie was filmed right after Missing in Action 2, The Beginning. You heard that right. Uh, The film was supposed to be the sequel. However, when the producers realized the film was the better of the two, uh, they simply renamed them and made the other film a prequel to this movie. Wow. I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, the missing in action to the beginning, that's when when they were in Vietnam. And, spoiler alert, I guess, end with, uh, oh my god, probably the end of that movie, we f- probably find out how Chuck Norris got out of there. Probably. Shit, we gotta watch that movie now. Thanks, Jarrett. Alright, you wanna hear 18 Things You Never Knew About Canon's Failed Spider-Man Movie? Yes, I do. Eight, number 18, Marvel sold themselves short. Well Canon Films wound up landing the rights to Spider-Man after Roger Corman's brief option on the film expired. But while the deal was a little bit more complicated than most, it still represented something of a bargain. Basically, Golan and Globus agreed to play, pay Marvel Comics $225,000 for a five-year option, yeah. along with a percentage of any revenue from the film. There was a strict deadline, though. If Canon Films failed to make their movie by 1990, the rights would revert back to Ma- Marvel. The deal still would have been a good value, as 20th Century Fox ended up paying $2.6 million to get the rights to X-Men in the 90s. Number 17, Canon Dreamed Big. Canon Films' plan for Spider-Man were unique, and they essentially tried to run before they could walk on the project. It was standard company practice. Canon would come up with titles they wanted to produce, attach as many big names as possible, and then sell the product to various international territories before even beginning work on the product. (laughs) Sounds about right. Canon was the last resort. It is often queried as to why, precisely, Marvel ended up doing a deal in the 1980s with B-movie specialists. According to some guy, whose name I'm not going to try and butcher... Uh, who worked on as Marvel's film agent in the 80s, it was something of a last resort, giving the lukewarm interest in the company's comic book characters. I never would have gone to canon as a first choice. I went to them after I couldn't afford, or I couldn't get Captain America or Spider-Man to sell. The guy uh, explained in the book Stanley and the Rise and Fall of the American Comic Book. Uh, while younger figures in the film industry were interested, older, more experienced heads thought otherwise, leaving Marvel and Stanley with little alternative but to talk to canon. 
Cannon wanted Toby Hooper to be the director. Yeah. Oh my god, the director of such classics as Life Force and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. I'm sold. uh, Keen to get a big name director attached to Spider-Man early on. Poltergeist. Globus and Golan uh, identified Toby Hooper, the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, as the ideal candidate for their film. At the time, Hooper was busy preparing two horror projects, Invaders from Mars and Texas Chainsaw Chainsaw Massacre Massacre 2, which were both being produced by Canon. Though it was unclear exactly what happened next, the commercial failures of both films, coupled with savage reviews that attacked more of their tone and uh, budgetary constraints, may have put to, uh, Hooper off, or alternatively canon, from doing Spider-Man. In any case, filmmaker Joseph Zito, who impressed on a limited budget Chuck Norris's efforts in Missing in Action and Invasion USA, as well as Friday the 13th, the final chapter, stepped in to take this place. Yeah, he did. Tom Cruise was eyed to play Spider-Man. Oh, Jesus Christ. A lot of running. Tom Cruise (laughs) has been many things throughout his long and varied career. A fighter pilot, a secret agent, a cocktail-slinging barman, just to name a few. (laughs) One thing he's never been, though, is a superhero of any kind. And yet, at the very beginning of his career, he nearly got the opportunity to do just that. One of the biggest comic book heroes around. Early on in the process, Canon Films identified Cruz as their preferred choice to be Spider-Man. The idea of the Mission Impossible character playing Peter Parker at this point in his career is perhaps a lot more plausible than initially assumed. When in his 20s, Cruz was coming off the back of successes like Risky Business and All the Right Moves. Uh, But he had yet to become the entity that we know as Tom Cruise. In fact, you could even argue that he may not have gone on to enjoy his success if he had ended up being a Spider-Man. You mean he wouldn't have been in Rain Man? Bob Hoskins also could have been Dr. Octopus. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this sounds more amazing than every fucking fact. The late, great Bob Hoskins was never shy about revealing his least favorite project of all the films he worked on. The worst thing I ever did? Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. It was a freaking nightmare. The whole experience that was a nightmare, Hoskins revealed in his interview. But at least I wasn't in Spider-Man. It could have been worse for the British film legend, though. Canon Films was supposedly keen on the idea of having Hoskins playing Dr. Octopus, who was all set to be the script, the film's main villain and the first in the first version of the script. Though Hoskins would have undoubtedly done a fine job in the role, it's unlikely... Or it's likely that the expected chaos and unpredictability as life on a canon set production may have been uh, ended up would have ended up getting to him. Then again, it may have resu- resulted in Hopkins thinking twice before signing up for that doc- for that Mario movie. <laughs> Lauren Bacall was going to be their Aunt May. Holy shit! <laughs> Canon films dreams big when it comes to Spider-Man. <laughs> <They do. laughs> Not content with I- identifying Cruz and Hopkins as Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus, respectively, Canon wanted Hollywood legend for the relatively small role of Aunt May. Despite her legendary status, the idea of recruiting Bacall for the part may not have been out of the question as it initially thought. In the, 19, the 1980s were a difficult time for Bacall, who took a seven-year break from films following 1981's poorly received horror effort, The Fan. Yeah. She certainly would have been available to play Aunt May. It may have even taken it... Uh, it may not have taken a hell of a lot of persuading to get her to come aboard. Unfortunately, we never got to find out. And Marlon Brando was set to play Uncle Ben. <laughs> Canon's <laughs> films didn't know squat about Spider-Man. The Canon films duo Golan and Globus didn't even know who Spider-Man was when they purchased the rights to the character. In fact, they were under the impression that Spider-Man operated much the same way as a universal monster like the Wolfman. (laughs) (laughs) The first version of the script for the film put together by Canon Films gave Spider-Man a completely new backstory that reflected this. It focused on a mad scientist named Dr. Zork who deliberately exposed a company ID (laughs) photographer, Peter Parker, to radiation. The result was an eight-legged Peter Parker-Spider-Man hybrid. Played by Tom Cruise. Played by Tom Cruise. Zork was already building an army of mutant monsters in this version of the script, and the Spider-Man Parker character would be rebelling against his creator. Unsurprisingly, Stan Lee rejected this proposed script (laughs) (laughs) and eventually set about writing a more suitable treatment. Jesus Christ. Stan Lee would have had a major on-screen role for himself. Uncle Ben. 
Despite constant objections to the script and ideas put forward by Canon, Stanley was very keen on getting this film made, and uh, more specifically, wanted himself to be the character J. Jameson, oh, Jameson oh, Peter Parker's Jesus boss Christ. at the Daily Bulge. In truth, this should have I'm sorry, come I'm as sorry, a massive I'm sorry, surprise. what was the name of that newspaper, sweetie? The Daily... Oh, sorry, Daily Bugle. <laughs> <laughs> but I want it to be called the Daily Bulge. <laughs> After my throbbing cock. <laughs> sorry. It's been a long day. I know, I love you. The first proper skip, script is a whole lot like Spider-Man 2. Well, uh, yeah. Writers John Broncado. Broncado? Brancato mm. and Ted Newsom were enlisted to turn Stanley's treatment into a full script, with Barney Cohen later uh, hired to rewrite the effort. Golan eventually added the finishing touches himself while operating under the pseudonym Joseph Goldman. <laughs> this resulted in a script that was not all that different than the screenplay that would become to come to be known as Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. The plot focused on Otto Octavius, a college professor who also served as Peter Parker's mentor. The big difference in the story centered on the fact that the cyclotron accident that turned Octavius into Dr. Octopus would also turn Peter Par Par Parker into Spider-Man. It ended much the same way as Raimi's uh, second Spidey film as well, with Dr. Octopus attempting to recreate his anti-gravity experiment, despite the fact that it threatened to engulf New York, killing millions. Spoiler alert. <laughs> For, for a 15-year-old movie. <laughs> Number eight, with pretty interesting changes, of course. Of course, this being a canon film, there would be rather few unusual additions to the Spider-Man script that were interesting, to say the least. For example, in this version of the story, Dr. Octopus was called Professor Octopus, as he regularly referred to himself, uh, or referred to his mechanical arms as Waldos, something that definitely never made the cut in Raimi's version of the tale. There was a small matter of a rather odd sidekick Cohen wrote in to the script for <laughs> Dr. Octopus. His name was Wiener, with all the details. And he's going to be played by John Cryer, like in Superman 4. <laughs> Wiener had his own catchphrase, Okie dokie! <laughs> Some of the elements for the new script are slightly less surprising, though, like the decision to have Liz Allen, Flash Thompson's high school girlfriend in the comics, become Spider-Man's main love interest. The director left the film surprisingly after having cast his Spider-Man. Zito began work on Spider-Man, scouting locations in Italy and England, and working on storyboarding with special uh, effects plans on the new movie. More importantly, he had found an affordable st Spider-Man in a st stuntman Scott Leva. He had already hired him to the studio to appear in promotional events. Leva later revealed in a CNN 2002 report he had pretty much prepping for the role at that point. In 1987, I was the number one slate. I was number one slated to be the par Peter Parker Spider-Man for the film for canon. I was the guy. They started using me in some cases as the model. They did a photo cover. I, th I think I was the only one where Peter was unmasked. Unfortunately, by now, Canon Films was f suffering major financial losses, and they were forced to slash the budget from the film from $20 million to less than 10 Zito left the project as a result, and Canon was back to square one. Superman and He-Man almost killed Spider-Man. Yeah, they did. If you require further indication of just how disorganized and chaotic life on Canon Films was, it surely comes as a revelation that the company briefly lost the rights to Spider-Man after forgetting to make a payment to Marvel as part of their deal. The reason? They were too busy making Superman 4 Quest for Peace and slightly more enjoyable He-Man movie Masters of the Universe. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. I don't know what's wrong with these yeah, people. It's... They eventually did regain the rights in 1988 and started their production again, this time turning to Albert Pion, another low-budget <gasps> filmmaker. Albert Pune? Pune, there we go. Yeah. With a great track work record for canon to direct. Interestingly, <laughs> Pune's version of Spider-Man would never make it to the big screen, but he did, did end up directing a truly terrible 1990s version of Captain America. He sure did. As well as a bunch of Jean-Claude movies, which again, Jean-Claude is Spider-Man. <laughs> The script was then changed again. Keen wanted to reduce the cost as much as possible, and the decision was made to rewrite the script in hopes of getting this film released by Christmas of 1989. 
Don Michael Paul and Ethan Wiley, later whom wrote the 1980s horror hit House, was brought on board and suddenly things got more spooky for Spider-Man. Rather than taking on Dr. Octopus, this new version of the script saw Spidey go up against a mad scientist who found himself turned into a vampire. Though suitably vague, this, the details suggest the character may have been modeled after Morbius, the living vampire from the comics. Yeah. Dr. Mark Michael Morbius would go through a similar transition in the comics. With two new horror-minded writers aboard, he seemed like a good fit. Unfortunately, there is little definitive proof that this character is based on... The character in this film is going to be based on Morpheus. The new director wanted a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> Not the director Pune was particularly... Not that director Pune particularly cared, but the newly installed Spider-Man director was desperate for this film to contain a different kind of villain. A lizard. <laughs> Whether it would have resulted in more changes to the script, it would be unclear, but Pune was already exploring the idea that no doubt ditched the Morbius plotline that he had already in enabled. Unfortunately, in testing the potential use for the character, Pune discovered a variety of costume and logistical issues, which, on a low budget, simply could not be remedied. The villain I chose was the lizard, but he had his own challenges with the tail and the ability to jump around, oh. Pune later reflected. We were experimenting with centrifuges, wire work, but everything was very daunting on a low budget. Spider-Man's loss ended up being JCVD's gain. Yeah. Pune, who already had a reputation for directing movies Pune. on super limited budgets, came up with a genius idea of, uh, during pre-production of Spider-Man, or at least that's how he probably views it, <laughs> keen to maximize his time and limit the funds left... Uh, and the limited funds left in canon films, he struck up the idea of directing Spider-Man and Masters of the Universe 2, the sequel to the He-Man movie, at the same time. How would he pull off this impossible feat? <laughs> he would share sets for both films. Yeah. In the end, however, the budgetary constraints con uh, and a firm no from canon put an end to this ridiculous plan. Although a happy ending of sorts for Pune, with many of the sets from Spider-Man slash Masters of the Universe 2 already constructed, yeah, Pune was able Cyborg. to use them for his next project, Cyborg. Yeah, the breakthrough performance for Jean-Claude Van Damme. So in a strange way, we may not have gotten JCVD without the failure of this Spider-Man movie. Wow. James Cameron's doomed Spider-Man. What? There would be one final canon-related twist, though. When Golan negotiated a new deal to have a Spider-Man movie made with James Cameron as the writer-director. Fuck. Cameron's plans for Spider-Man were the stuff of legends. He's credited with coming up with the idea of the character's uh, webbing being an organic part of his body, while in his part script, part treatment presented an edgy take on the character full of sex and swearing. Fuck Unfortunately, yeah. none of it would see the light of day, thanks in part to Golan. They don't call him the web slinger for nothing. Boom. Having agreed to sell the property on Proviso, that he be named the producer in the finished film, Golan soon clashed with Cameron, who refused to sell the credit. The result was a flurry of lawsuits that prevented the film from ever being made on the big screen. In the years since uh, the mess has been cleared up, it was time for Sam Raimi to take the helm. What could have been? Oh, man. Sorry that ended up being like an extra yeah. hour attached to yeah, this, so yeah. but... It was only a good 20, 25 minutes, but uh, worth it, I think. That was fucking awesome. Yeah. James Cameron doing a sex-filled <laughs> Spider-Man? Toby Hooper and Tom Cruise and Bob Hoskins. Lauren Bacall? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> so, sweetie... What did we learn from missing in action after all that? That it was missing the action. How dare you? There was plenty of action. There was explodings. Mm. When there was action, it was really, really good action. Kamikaze grenade action. Ah. But when there was not action, it was really plotting. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I learned that if you want shit done right, you send in a Chuck Norris. Boom. <laughs> I also learned... We were robbed of a canon film, Spider-Man. Oh my god. It only would have cost about $20 million, people. That's not that much money. I'm pretty sure we could crowdfund that shit. That's like a tenth of an Infinity War, even with yeah. inflation. <laughs> oh shit, we could have had ten. Alright, would you? here's the question, <laughs> right. Steve. Would you trade Infinity War for ten Spider-Man movies? Oh. With Tom Cruise as Spider-Man. How much child murder is involved? Directed by Toby Hooper <laughs> and or James Cameron. Oh, don't make me choose my babies. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the question. <laughs> well, okay, let me put this way. Uh, would you rather have ten Spider-Man movies by Canon Films mm -hmm. or a Fast and Furious 12? Oh, ten Spider-Man movies from Canon, <laughs> like 100%. <laughs> 
Yeah, they need to stop at 10. They need to send Dom to space. And then just be like, this is the end of an era. Family. (laughs) And the moon explodes. It'd be great. Oh my god. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to us talk about Missing in Action for about 30 minutes. And then talk about a Spider-Man movie that would never happen Uh. for the next 30 (laughs) <laughs> oh so good you you know what you, we can't do a canon film without getting off track on the other oh, canon films it's absolutely true they were so intertwined in their craziness it oh it's so good and now we have to watch another one with this missing in action to the beginning return to perfection yes. whatever the hell it's called <laughs> the search for curly's gold that's right <laughs> <laughs> missing in action Two: electric boogaloo <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you for listening uh, of course if you enjoy us tell your friends about us if you don't enjoy us you know tell tell your friends about us anyway yeah Uh, see if they have better taste than you yeah exactly (laughs) it could happen you don't know but yeah hit us up on the twitter the facebook we're on spotify Mm -hmm. we're on all the podcatchers uh we just love to hear from you guys what's our twitter uh, steve oh well i'm glad you asked it's at eilf movies that's everything i learned from movies Uh, um it's got our logo and shit usually sick ass gifts or polls and you better click on steve's polls (laughs) so until next time i'm steve and i'm izzy and this is everything Everything i learned from movies also check out my etsy shop at untidyvenus.etsy.com to get all kinds of super cute uh movie monster stuff adorable gary the unicorn magical enamel pins and all kinds of other fun shit have a good night everybody night everybody (laughs) spider-man Toby Hooper, Toby Hooper's Spider Man, Tom Cruise slinging his web and running all over the place with six arms. Yes, that's right. Oh my god! (laughs) And Bob Haskins is Doc Ock. I'm sorry, Professor Ock. Prof Ock. Okie dokie. Okay. (laughs) I still think John Cryer would have been the sidekick. (laughs) Oh shit.